The story I have for you now is one of those grand adventure stories that's been almost entirely forgotten. But the point I want to make to you is God's story for us is a huge adventure. When we give our lives to God, he takes us in directions that we could never have planned in a thousand years. You know, when Rome went into Britain, it was all orderly and planned and violent and, and everything happened according to, I'm sure, what the Pope wanted and what the, the Roman Emperor wanted, and, but it was, it was not God's way. Well, this is God's way. What I'm about to tell you is the way God does things. Okay, so here's a guy in the 4th century. All these people are in the 4th century now. And remember, that's the century after the Edict of Milan. So this is when the church is having its heyday, gone from rags to riches. They're in uh, favor now in Rome. They're, they're getting rich and they're, they're sleeping in feather beds. You get the idea. Carried around by slaves and, and so on. And, and they're just having the time of their lives. The Christians are. And that includes in Byzantium, which is the eastern uh, capital of the Roman Empire. We'll, we'll call it the Eastern Rome. And, uh, and there's a church there that is prospering, just like the Roman church. But this is the Eastern church now, uh, Greek-speaking Eastern church. And uh, there's a guy named Evagrius of Pontus who is going up in the echelons of the church. You can almost see him in flowing robes. He's dressing very well, and he's, he's having the time of his life, and he's becoming like the, the number three guy in the church. So um, just imagine him. Um, he's a good man, but he's also becoming very successful with all of the dangers of success nipping at his heels. One day he falls in love with a beautiful woman and absolutely head over heels falls in love. And the problem is that she is the wife of somebody else already. And yet there's nothing he can do about it. He's just in love with her. You can almost imagine the clandestine meetings and and uh, the, 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 the twinges of conscience and all the stuff that happens in a scenario like that. One day, Evagrius has a dream. Um, and in the dream, he is in a court of law and he's being accused. He's the defendant. And here the prosecutor is coming and accusing him of all kinds of things. And as he's being accused of these things, he stands up and defends himself. And as he's defending himself, he, he says, I'm going to guard my heart. I'm going to guard my heart. And as he's saying those words, he wakes up and he's actually speaking those words um, in, in his bed. And, and he realizes that he has just taken a vow before God. And he takes this very seriously. And he realizes that um, God has speaking, spoken to him in a dream. And uh, so as he meditates on this, he, he, he realizes he has to take action about this. And he decides to give everything up. And in order to guard his heart, he leaves the woman and he leaves this entire scenario of success. And he goes on a pilgrimage. He's searching for God now. 
And how can he guard his heart? Well, he goes to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem he meets a woman named Melania. Okay, let me introduce you to Melania. Melania had been the wife of the prefect of Rome, a very wealthy woman, one of the most wealthy people in the Roman Empire. But when her husband died, she went on a journey into the deserts of Egypt. Now, right here, you can see the influence of that life of Anthony. You know, everybody knows about Anthony now. And so people are going to, the, to that place to find out what this is like, this kind of by my spirit lifestyle. And she goes there, this wealthy woman from Rome, and she's going to learn from the prayer warriors of Nitria, who are the spiritual descendants of Anthony. They're the ones that walked with him, that learned from him, and uh, are teaching what he taught now. And for six months, she, she learns from them. Then she goes to Jerusalem, and she establishes a house of prayer for women in Jerusalem. So Melania is one of the people that we call the desert mothers. She's one of the women who learned the wisdom of the desert and is now teaching it to women. When she meets Evagrius coming from Byzantium, um, she discovers that here's a guy of like heart and he needs to learn from the same people that she had learned from. So she takes him to Nitria and drops him off there. Well, here's this big churchman guy in amongst some unwashed, unlettered, uh, unlearned, uh, simple country hermits. You can't imagine how different these people are, Evagrius and the hermits of Egypt. But Evagrius amazingly humbles himself underneath these people. Um, and he, he's determined to learn from them, and learn is what he does. And so after, I don't know, 10 years or so, Evagrius then becomes the leader of that community in Nitria. And not only does he become the leader, but he becomes the first person to actually write down the wisdom of the desert in book form. And so here is uh, Evagrius's two of, of his books, the Practicus and the Chapters on Prayer. I mean, I read these uh, writings and, you know, I have been greatly enriched by them. People for hundreds and hundreds of years have read Evagrius and the Wisdom of the Desert Fathers. And it's been a source of great revival and personal renewal. In fact, this book is published by the Cistercians. The Cistercians of the 12th century rediscovered the Desert Fathers and became a new movement in the medieval church, which is totally consumed with power and might Christianity, but they're going to discover the by my spirit kind of Christianity, the original way uh, of Christ. And, and, and so in the 12th century, the Desert Fathers are going to be still a source of inspiration. That's my point, is that a whole revival movement in the 12th century is going to be based 
on these writings of Evagrius. Evagrius in the desert is going to be far more influential than he would have been if he had stayed in Byzantium. You see my point. There's an adventure that God has him on, but he has to surrender everything. He has to give up everything. Point number one in our, un, our idea of how the, the, the Lord wants us to live by my spirit. So he's, he's done this. And uh, let me just say that from Evagrius's point of view, it's all about prayer. The Christian life is a life of prayer. Jesus, by his cross, tore down the barrier between us and God, and we cultivate the relationship by means of prayer. So from, from if, if you look at Evagrius, you'll see it's all about prayer. The Christian life is a life of prayer, and if we're going to introduce people to Christ, we're going to introduce them to prayer, pure and simple. There may be other things too, but those are added on. If, if, it's, if it's a Christian life you're after, you, you must learn prayer, according to Evagrius. All right, so now, uh, what immediate influence is Nitria and Evagrius' community going to have? Well, in the last, I don't know, 10 years of Evagrius' community, uh, before he died, um, there are going to be two guys who have been touring the prayer communities of the desert, and they're going to end up at Nitria. These are both guys, uh, I believe, from Gaul who, again, they would have heard about the Egyptian uh, prayer uh, movement, and they will have gone there to find out what's going on here. Um, and they're going to end up with Evagrius, and they're going to learn from him. And then when he dies, they're going to go back to Gaul, and these are going to be the two most influential people in the great revival that's going to happen next. And one of these guys is John Cassian. Here's a, an artist's idea of what he might have looked like, except I don't think they had books like that. Um, but I, I like this, and, and uh, it, it, it expresses what John Cassian was all about, the inner life of prayer that he learned from Evagrius. And, and, and the, the thing is that what Cassian discovered is that the life of the hermit, the life of solitary aloneness, total aloneness, is not all that it's cracked up to be. So Anthony, Anthony might have made it, it work, but uh, John Cassian, when he was in the desert, he saw a lot of people come under deception being alone. In other words, the enemy attacks with deception. People become deceived. They think things are true that are not true. And so there needs to be protection from that. And Cassian is the guy who says, the protection we have is Christian community, loving community of people who care for each other. So Cassian is going to be the great apostle of prayer communities, and he's going to write uh, his own writings, and they're all going to be about 
uh, having communities of prayer. And he's going to start his, his community of prayer in Marseille. And this is going to be a, a prayer community like Marmoutier. Remember that for, from um, Martin of Tours. And, and this will have an equal influence of, uh, from Marmoutier. So John Cassian is going to be not only starting his own community of prayer, but he's going to be helping others to found their communities of prayer all through Gaul. So they're, they're trying to understand how to take this powerful life of Antony, and now here are thousands of people who want to live that kind of life, and they're helping them to get into prayer communities. Okay, even a guy named Benedict of Nursia, who is in Italy, going to hear of Cassian, and Cassian is going to be a major influence in his life, and he's going to start a prayer community in Italy. It's going to evolve into the Benedictine monasteries, the monastic movement that is going to be taken over by the Roman Catholic Church and turned into a massive um, uh, monastic uh, movement. But it's important to realize that at the beginning, uh, these prayer communities weren't exactly what we think of as monasteries. They're, they're called monasteries, yes, historically, but when we use the word monastery, we have a certain picture of what became of the mon monasteries. But at the beginning, I like to use the word prayer communities because they were really very simple. They weren't big, big buildings and fancy structures, you know, and hierarchies and all the stuff that Rome is going to turn the monastic movement into. They're just simple prayer communities. People are going to learn how to pray, and that's just what it was at the beginning. And so um, it's important to realize that Cassian is just trying to help people to learn how to relate to God directly and learn how to wield the authority of prayer because we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. And so it's all about this kind of prayer, an inner awakening and then advancing the kingdom against the powers of darkness. Okay, now the other guy, his best friend, is one of the forgotten heroes of the past, Germanus of Orger. And Germanus is going to, uh, he's not going to be so much a community builder like Cassian. He's going to be an evangelist. But as an evangelist, he's not, um, he's not going out trying to get people to be members of a church. In fact, they didn't really believe in church membership in the way that we have come to think of it. And um, they weren't building churches the way we build churches today. Because, you see, it was all about connecting people directly to God. That's what Christianity is. It's not being a member of a church. It's getting people connected. Because that's why Jesus died. He didn't die so that we could build a church. He died so that we could be connected directly to the Father. You know, the temple curtain torn in two. You know, and we're seated with Christ. And so these are the things that... Um, Germanus was excited about, and when he went to Wales, that's the gospel that he preached. He wanted people to be connected. And so one of the guys that he uh, uh, 
shared the gospel with, who, who received it, was um, Kadok. Okay, we, don't, we know very little about Kadok, except that he uh, began to pray. And he became a hermit, okay? So he, he, he wasn't really a part of a community, um, but he was a hermit in the middle of the woods. And uh, one day, a, a band of warriors came by and discovered him out there in the middle of the woods praying, and they made fun of him, and they roughed him up a little bit. And uh, uh, their leader was uh, a soldier named Iltid. Iltud might have been a knight of some kind. He was a, certainly a mercenary who spent his life fighting battles for kings. And uh, Iltid uh, is going to become the founder of the Church of Wales. And uh, one night uh, after he's roughed up this um, Kadok in the middle of the woods, he's going to have a dream. And in the dream, this angel says to him, until now you have been a knight serving mortal kings, but from now on, I want you to be a knight in the service of an immortal king, the king of all kings. And so from that point on, his life is totally going to change. And he is going to be a, a great, well, I should say an apostle, of the church in Wales. He's going to establish a great prayer community. Um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because it's it's impossible Welsh name, but um, something like Glenilpidfor. And it's just going to be this great uh, school of spiritual warfare. And instead of teaching military warfare, it's going to teach spiritual warfare. How do we relate to God? And how do we stand for Christ to come against the powers of darkness and free people and free cities and free uh, whole, uh, whole nations? So the authority of Christ is the authority of prayer. And virtually all of the great Christian leaders of Wales, the early ones, um, they were trained by Iltud. So that's how Wales becomes... Christian. It, it trades a pagan, druid kind of culture for a Christian culture. This is how the, the, the nations and the tribes of Britain are slowly coming to Christ. And I just want to point out to you, you know, I was taught during my most of my years that before the Reformation, it was all the Roman church coming in and taking over all the countries of Europe and Britain. That is just not the way it was. What I'm hoping to show you is the truth is often so amazing. And uh, God or orchestrates things that nobody could have planned. And we're still in God's world and our lives can be like that too.